0: Little fool for you, so life ain't always pretty, but hey,
1: it's pretty beautiful. Laugh
0: a little more tight, tighten up your core. Said he can't. you kicking it with four things
2: with Amy Brown.
0: Okay, so here we are, episode five. Pretty pumped about this one because my sister is one of my four things, my sister Christy. Um, For one, I'm excited because she's my sister. For two, I just love talking with her. And for three, we get to share a really cool experience that went down with our mom towards the end of her life and hospice care and what that was like for us. And I don't know if you've ever been in our situation or I hope you don't ever have to be, but maybe, maybe you will be at some point in your life and this can help prepare you for that. Uh, Or maybe not even hospice, but maybe someone in the hospital and a doctor is telling you um, to talk to someone that's unresponsive and you're like, why am I even talking? They can't hear me. Uh, Maybe our story will convince you that, yeah, they can hear you. They really are in there. Because I was one that doubted and I'm like, I felt silly sitting there talking to my mom when I didn't feel like she could hear me. But yep, she could hear. So we'll share that with you. And then I'm going to touch on dry shampoo and how we've been putting it in our hair all wrong. And then I also have another guest, Mike Wilson, who used to live in Nashville, but he's lived in Haiti the past several years um, with his wife, Missy, and how she had a dream. Her dream is what led them to moving to Haiti to open up a place for special needs children, for them to thrive in a family based care setting. And it's sort of like an orphanage, but not. He'll explain to you the difference. But yeah, it's crazy how she had a dream. And the next thing you know, well, it wasn't quickly, but. Eventually, Mike got on board, and then they moved to Haiti. And y'all, special needs children in Haiti will touch on this when I talk to Mike, too. But they are literally put in the trash at times because people think they are possessed. So if they have a deformity or anything that's, quote, unquote, different looking than, like, quote, normal kids, they are scared of them. And they may be demon-possessed or whatnot. So, yeah, they end up in the trash, which is terribly sad. And then what's our last thing that we're somewhere in the mix? Oh, the fourth thing, I've got a challenge for you guys, and it's going to be pretty awesome. It's going to be a game changer for our arms, which you might be like, what? But I really need y'all to get on board with me for this, and we're going to do it for one month. We're going to be a team, and our arms are going to look the best that they've ever looked after we complete this whole 30-day challenge. It's a challenge I made up, by the way. So hope you love it. Okay, here we go. Okay, just got my sister on the phone, my sister Christy, because she is one of my four things today. Thank you, Christy, for, for coming on. You're so welcome. As I was calling you, who was calling you on the other line? Dad's girlfriend? <laughs> yes, she's still calling. Oh, okay. Well, tell yeah, her you're dad's busy. girlfriend slash my husband's uh, grandma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our dad <laughs> Or is dating my sister's husband's grandma. So, to my sister's kids, grandpa is dating great grandma, right?
2: Basically, and if they got married, then my father-in-law would be my brother-in-law, my husband would be like my
0: cousin or something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, mm, it's a hot mess, but it's not, it's a beautiful but, mess. But
2: they're not planning on getting married, yes, yeah,
0: beautiful. No, cuz she's like 83 so. and he's 77 and recovering yeah, from and cancer surgery. <laughs> She she wears a do not resuscitate band. (laughs) So I really brought my sister on to help share a story about hope and faith. And and it has to do with our mom. The story came to my mind because a friend was talking to me about something similar to what happened with our mom. And it's crazy when you lose a parent and you know they're going to die and they're in hospice like we had with our mom. And you want to soak up every little detail and remember every single thing. But there's bits and pieces that are super foggy to me. And that's why I'm really thankful that we have each other and we've got other family and friends that were there that can help us put all the pieces together of some really special moments, which mm-hmm. one of the moments that I want to specifically talk about is when our mom was in hospice at my sister's house. So she started out at the Christopher House in Austin. But she we knew as part of her final wishes that... She didn't want that to be the end there. She wanted it to be at home. And so in our minds, home was my sister's house. That would be the best location because my sister had four kids and it was just easier to make that hospice headquarters. And so my sister transformed her master bedroom and it was where my mom spent her last days of life. And it was really hard, but awesome because family and friends just it was like a revolving door of people just coming through to sit with mom. And even though she wasn't responsive by this point, she really had little communication. I don't know that by the time she was at your house, Christy, that I ever had any form of communication with her. Did you?
2: Not really. But I think the hospice staff had kept encouraging us that she's there. She can hear. She's processing. She's just, as they kept saying, she's going into herself, which is a very common end-of-life thing that kind of lets you know the end is near and nearer and near when they when they do withdraw in that way where they're not communicating as much or opening their eyes as much because the end is near. And I think the um, when you were saying something about taking her home, I remember the first day or two in the Christopher House um, hospice place, I remember she said a couple times, I want to go home, I want to go home, and I just thought of this when you said this, because I remember, like, okay, we were taking her home, you know, whatever that, my home, her home, we had to figure out how to do that, and we ended up going to my home, but hospice staff also came to us that said that could be symbolic for her saying she's ready to go on to her heavenly home, um, which very much knew could be what she was talking about as well, but we knew that her being in a home setting would just be more welcoming to visitors and loved ones being there, staying there, hanging out and all that. I'm pretty sure it was the day or two after she came to my house because we got there like on a Wednesday night. I remember we got home, that ambulance brother, you rode with her, and we got her all set up in a hospital bed in my room with all those tubes and the morphine and the everything a hospital bed was set up with all these chairs and it looked more like a living room setting with a bed in it mm-hmm. then it didn't look like my bedroom at all
0: yeah no and it allowed um, us to do special things like your worship leader came over one day to you know lead everybody in some of mom's favorite songs and just um, we all sang together and I feel your master bedroom was not that big. And there was probably about 40 people piled in there, even some out in your hallway. And we just sang. And it was one of the most special memories that I have. But it was what happened after that went down that I don't really remember, even though I was told exactly what happened. It's just still a little bit Foggy, so that's what I want you to share. Well,
2: I think um, Eddie had come over, so obviously Eddie from my church, not Eddie who you work with, but he also plays the guitar and sings. And he had been talking with us because a couple, of, a few days prior, you and I, when Mom was kind of more lucid, we actually had a conversation about her funeral, and we talked a lot about some of her favorite songs, and and a lot of them were hymns. You know, obviously her favorite hymn being "I'll Fly Away." And then I remember her saying, Andy hey, you can play some of that Chris Tomlin stuff, you know, which would be more like the more contemporary praise and worship song. We kind of made a list of some of her favorite songs and called Eddie, I think we just knew we were coming home. We knew the end was near. We knew she loved praise and worship music and what more beautiful setting to bring people that she loves just surrounding her and just singing over her even though she wasn't in a place where she could sing. Although I do remember we sang a couple songs and then we sang I'll Fly Away. And I don't know if you remember this, and I don't know if it's on the video we have because I haven't watched it in forever, but Mom like raised her hand. Do you remember this?
0: No, see, I don't. I don't remember that. And if it is on video, I want it. (laughs) Well, I'm not
2: sure if that part is on video, but I remember the second she heard and could tell what song it was, she raised her hand. You know, if she was one of those people in church, she'd be raising her hand, you know, in church while she was singing. Yeah. Because she's going to be worshiping the Lord. And um, so that was crazy because she hadn't done much in the past 24 hours verbally or physically. Yeah. And it probably took a lot of energy to raise her hand. She is still in there. She still hears us. She is liking this. You know, this is just blessing her in this moment. And so then we kept singing. Her and Eddie had actually never met before. And I remember when he was leaving, he went over to her. And actually, I was not in there. Um, my neighbor Kristen was over. And Kristen was like family. So she spent a lot of time by mom's side just brushing back her hair or holding her hand or doing whatnot. And I think Kristen was sitting beside her and Eddie came back in and just, Um, leaned over mom and said, it was so beautiful meeting you and worshiping with you um, this evening. And then he said, I can't wait to worship with you in heaven one day. And she hadn't opened her eyes, hadn't said anything. The only thing she had really done that day is raised her hand a little bit during I'll fly away. And she opened her eyes and looked at him. She just said, God bless you. And physical words came out of her mouth, which had not come out of her mouth. That might seem really small in certain perspectives, but just given the nature of the situation and that she hadn't spoken, she hadn't opened her eyes, she hadn't had much interaction with people, for her kind of to say that to him, it just meant so much, I think, to us to know that she's in there. She knows the end is coming. She you know, she's just—she's there, and she's ready, in a sense. So, I mean, that is the gist of the story, and I think it means so much more given the whole circumstance of the situation. You know, because I think part of the times we were just kind of going, is she, is she liking this? Is she wanting this? Is she hearing this? That was you the know, main thing. A couple different—
0: Is she hearing it? Because hospice kept saying, keep talking to them. They're in there. But I'm telling you, there were times— You're just like, why, why am I even talking? And so that's another thing of encouragement to anybody that might ever be in this situation or might be going through it right now. Yes. Like keep talking to them because they are in there. They do hear. And for me, I didn't have that interaction. Like Christy said, we weren't in the room. It was just Eddie and Kristen in the room and they witnessed it and they came out and told us and she literally had said nothing for a while like days then all of a sudden she's opening her eyes and saying god bless you when he says that he wants to sing with her in heaven like something in her like came out and she was able to do that and then she didn't talk again after that nothing nope nope and then i think those
2: were her last words
0: yeah i don't know to me that just like gives like it's a story of faith and hope and 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 love and continuing yeah. to be there for people, even when you don't know if they can hear you, keep talking to them, and then so powerful and crazy that that mom was able to do that, and and that was probably the singing that stirred it up and moved her, and she felt it,
2: right. And music is so powerful. I think I think you and also just playing music. Um, we had one particular song. Do you remember we played so on repeat? Ten thousand reasons slideshow, and then now. Those songs, it's just especially songs from her funeral and, and different things, just take me right back to that moment of just, um, you know, celebrating her life and being with her in the end of life. And I think there were some people who were concerned about us bringing her to our house and, and how would that go with, like, my kids because she has four kids. And to me, it is one of the most amazing experiences I could have given my kids. Even though it was super hard. But that's, I think, just showing them this is what you do. You rally around one another. In the end, you love one another. You don't teach them to be afraid of people that are dying, but to come along to them. Yeah. It just makes me emotional thinking back to a lot of the things that even happened with the kids, which is like a whole other podcast, too. Just being there with her when she did take her last breath and
0: that morning. Yeah. I mean, we legit got to so, be there. And then Christy and I, for whatever reason, decided to lay with her for like an hour.
2: Well, the hostage people told us, they said, someone may tell you you need to call the in your home right away. And they said, you don't have to. You do not have to call them right away. You can take as long as you want. So I remember, I think someone came in and said, should we call the theater home? And I was like, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're, we're not ready. Away with <laughs> <laughs> we're with her. Yeah. And we uh, laid on either side of her, and we played that 10,000 Reasons song over and over on the iPad. I think we did that for about an hour, and maybe a little over, and then it was like, okay, it's time. I don't know. That yeah. whole ceremony of of the people coming to pick her up. That was the whole thing, too.
0: Regardless of anybody's been in our situation or they might be, I think there's some some takeaways from this. And we'd never experienced hospice or anything like this. And I kind of wish we had known more going into it. But now we know we've been through it and we can share our experience so that other people can be prepared and know. And hospice is pretty amazing. Hospice nurses and everything that they do to help with the families is, is pretty incredible.
2: Hospice makes it how it should be, if you're able to do it that way. To me, it was a beautiful thing. So, and I'm glad I got to do it with you. Yeah. But it was, God, it was such a just honor to kind of be a part of and to do together.
0: So, And I don't know, there may be some people listening that don't know, but I don't know if we preface that mom had cancer. So you'll, Mm -hmm. the more you listen to the podcast, you'll learn different little things. But that is how she ended up in hospice and how we knew it was going to happen and and when it was time. And and we were able to be there as a family together and we have some pretty cool moments. So, yeah, if people have an opportunity to do it this way, don't be scared of it. Embrace it and try to make all the special moments happen while you can. And yeah, keep talking to them because they can hear you and feel you, right? Right.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. It definitely prompted so many conversations that we might not would have had otherwise, which makes you kind of go, "Gosh, why don't we just be more intentional with our conversations anyway?" I know. That's
0: again. I know. Another. I'm, no, I'm glad some of this. on. I'm glad some of the stuff came up because I knew I wanted to share this story, but I didn't know exactly all the reasons why, and now I know why, and I'm a firm believer that. There is one person out there listening that needed to hear this about hospice, and hopefully they'll be able to use it for something in their life. Like, yeah, yeah. So, so, all right, well, thanks well for letting me be on your show. yeah, I'm gonna have you on a lot. Like, I want yeah, to have, there's all kinds of things. Love I'll you, I gotta love you. go. Okay. Okay. I gotta go. I'm super busy. Okay, bye.
1: <laughs> Second thing. Oh.
0: Okay, so I have a challenge that I want to give you guys and me myself all participate in the challenge and it'll start now. This episode is going live Thursday, December 13th. So that'll be day one of the challenge and we'll conclude it on January 13th. So one full month and I'll be a little vulnerable and share with y'all that I am super self-conscious about my arms. I just always have been. There's nothing you can do to change this about me. I don't care what you tell me, show me, whatever. It's just, not going to happen. I think I was scarred as a child because my grandmother, she would drive us around. And when she would have her hands on the steering wheel, the skin underneath her arms would like flap around and jingle, jingle, like blah, 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 like, uh, and it just, it terrified me. Like, I do not want to get old and have these arms. And I think hereditarily, I have arms that could maybe go that direction, but my grandmother, she didn't work out. I mean, she bowled, but bowling, I don't know. Does that really work out? She was a bowler, but other than that, she didn't exercise. She didn't eat right. Any of that stuff. So I feel like I do have some things in my favor because I do try to take care of myself. Um, but yeah, I just have been scared of that. So I found this amazing arm workout. It was years ago. I don't know. Let's go back. It's probably like 2010, 2011, or something. I saw that Gwyneth Paltrow had been doing this five-minute arm exercise from Tracy Anderson, her trainer. She threw the video up on YouTube to share it with everyone, which is awesome. But evidently, Gwyneth every day, no matter what, she did this arm workout to prepare for her role in Iron Man. I think maybe it was Iron Man too. I don't know if y'all care about the specifics, but she, she did it to get ready for filming. And she said she did it every day. I'm sure she did a ton of other things too. Let's be honest. It's not just this, but you can like work on targeted areas. And so I started doing this arm workout and I used to do it all the time. And I've just been slacking lately. I haven't done it at all. And I did it the other day out of nowhere. I thought of it and I was like, you know, it would feel good if I just, I mean, all I had literally was about five, six minutes. So I was like, I'm going to focus on my arms. So I did the video and it burned so hard because I haven't done it in a while, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. And I really do believe it helps tone our arms. So that is my challenge. Maybe it's kind of selfish because I need y'all to hold me accountable. And I really want to do this arm workout and I do better when I'm working with other people and you guys are my people. So let's do it. If you want to find the video, obviously this is a podcast. I can't just like magically link it for you right here. And that does lead me to tell you that We are working on a website, RadioAmy.com. Nothing's there yet. Well, depending on when you're listening to this, nothing's there yet, but we are working on that. So that way we can reference links and different things from the podcast and I can just send you there and boom, it'll be so easy. But since we don't have that yet, I guess I could tell you what to Google. If you just type in Tracy Anderson arms for Gwyneth, the video will come up. And it's about, it's like five minutes and, 40 seconds or something like that. I don't know. She's at home. She's in front of a bunch of mirrors. She's wearing a little white top and like sweatpants and she's flailing her arms about for like five minutes straight. That's how you know you've got the right video. And I'll post about it on Twitter and Instagram. My handle's at Radio Amy. So you can check out there and I'll try to do stories. I guess the best way to hold each other accountable is I'll post a story every day to confirm that I'm doing it. Cause yeah, the challenge is every single day. We're not even taking Christmas day off y'all. We're doing it Christmas day and how, I mean, get the whole family to do it. I've gotten my kids to do it before. I've tried to get my husband to do it, but honestly, it's really, really hard for men because their shoulders and arms are a lot heavier than ours. And so my husband's in really good shape and he's pretty strong, but this kills him, but it could be something fun. Get your parents involved, get the whole family lined up and everyone's like shaking their arms and going back and forth. But okay. So that, this is one of our things for today's podcast is a challenge. I'm not going to throw tons of challenges your way, but we already kind of do that. We want to challenge you to choose joy and me too and, and, you know, spread hope, which we do. But in this case, the challenge is Gwyneth Paltrow arms. All right. Okay. Let's do this. So, you know, I love telling you all about companies that are just making a difference where you can buy really cool things, but they're giving back and you've got to check out Able. If you don't know what they do or what they have to offer, they have a lot. Jewelry, apparel, shoes and leather goods that are made locally in Nashville and globally in partnerships with entrepreneurs like in Ethiopia, Mexico, Peru. I think I've given most girls in my family one of their leather bags as a gift, and you can even have initials stamped on there. They even have some jackets. They've got a really great denim line. Able is really amazing, and their jewelry is super cute. And their main mission is to end generational poverty by providing economic opportunity for women. So this is the company you can feel awesome shopping with and guess what they've given you a coupon code at checkout where you're going to get 25% off so what you got to do is go to livefashionable.com that's livefashionable.com and you can enter the code during your checkout and you'll save 25% now the code is good until Christmas day the 25th but if you want Christmas delivery on any of the stuff make sure you order by December 19th and don't forget the coupon code for things Okay, I've got Mike Wilson here, which is super exciting because shoot, how did we meet, Mike? Okay, I know, I know. You were host you were having an event in Austin for Haiti. Yes. And I was brought in to host it. You were
1: the MC. Or the
0: MC, whatever. Yes. And then we met and I realized the amazing things that y'all were doing in Haiti. Well, see, I
1: remember coming and talking to you, and you're like, who is this weird guy wearing orange pants? You were weird. Yes, you did. Because... No,
0: I loved your personality and I loved your heart for Haiti. And I knew yeah. the next time I was down in Haiti, I wanted to make my way down to Nepali, which yep. is where you live. Yep. And normally I spend it in, in Port au Prince. Right. But yeah, in one of our next trips down there, we came to Nepali. <laughs> you did. And brought the whole family, I think. So yeah. I, I just I just am excited about um what y'all are doing down there yeah. and the changes that you're making for these children. And so you and your wife, Missy, yes, you run us an orphanage for special needs and typically developing children.
1: Well, so what we would say is it's not even an orphanage. It is a place where we provide families for kids who have been abandoned or orphaned. Yes. So because Haiti's not really big on Haitians adopting Haitians, we have created our own foster care situation, for lack of a better term. So we have a social worker that works with us. And when the government brings us a child, then we place them in a family that's already been pre-qualified. And it's really cool because you'll have a special needs child living alongside or typically developing kids. And the, the cool part about that is they begin to see each other as siblings and there's no special needs or anything like that. It's just family.
0: So cover real quickly um, how the Haitian culture is different than here in America when it comes to special needs children. Like, give us the honest truth of yeah. of how they are discarded in a way.
1: Yeah, so um, so we have a, a 21-year-old son with severe special needs. So when I went to Haiti for the first time, I kind of looked for kids that looked like him, that, that weren't typically developing and um, really didn't see any the first two or three times didn't see a single person with any kind of disability or anything like that and then we were introduced to some people who said oh you want to see those people we'll take you and what and happen- for those
0: listening mike just did air quotes yes those
1: people <laughs> yeah sorry um but the cool thing about what happened is when we walked in we saw a whole room full of of kids that looked just like our son and we started to ask questions of why are they here and we realized pretty quickly that if you have any kind of deformity or any disability or you're different in any way, then Haiti sees you because the voodoo culture as your, your, your child is cursed and it's probably your fault or it's the child's fault. So they've got to be discarded. They've got to be uh, truly it's they're at risk for being sacrificed in a voodoo service mm-hmm. because the evil spirit needs to be set free. And then there are those in the in the voodoo community that say, "Then I want to control that evil spirit." So, yeah, yeah, it's it's really crazy. You just you just don't see.
0: I have goosebumps like hearing uh. you say it because I know you you live there. You know, some yeah. people would think, "Oh yeah, no, that can't be real." I know, but it's it's so real. And these children are left sometimes just in the street or they are in they the are. trash. Or yeah, uh,
1: the first little boy that was brought to us named Malachi. Um, Malachi was actually discarded in a dump mm. in. Um, in another part of Haiti and the government went to multiple places to try to find someone that could care for him. And another organization referred them to us. I mean, we had been on the ground in Haiti. We'd launched in January of 2012 and in February, 2012, the government brought us Malachi and said, you've got to help. We have, we have nothing for this child. And so that started things for us. And So today we have we have 20, 22 kids that we care for in five different families. But the best part about it is if if you were to walk in, you wouldn't know the air quotes again, orphans from anybody else, because all the kids are just part of the community, part of the village. They have brothers and sisters and siblings and aunts and uncles and moms and dads and everything that goes along with family. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we fight for is families, keeping families together, putting families together and making sure they can then be who they're supposed to be.
0: Yeah, I think the family based care is an awesome concept like you said, because Mm -hmm. at the orphanage where my kids were, I mean, it was a true orphanage where it it was, you know, all kids in this age group are sleeping in this room and there's a nanny. And then it kind of followed that theme throughout. There was, you know, baby room one, baby room two. And then my son was in the (laughs) toddler room. So, (laughs) and it was, you know, just a bunch of nannies running around and it didn't feel like home. It didn't feel like a mom and a dad and you know they're doing the best they can. There's there's nothing wrong with that, especially when you're giving a roof over their heads and and three meals a day and you know a chance to get right. adopted. Right. Um, But in, in y'all's case, really having that family based yeah. concept is is pretty cool well, because it... they are like for people that haven't traveled to an orphanage or understand it's very very different. It there's a mom. And oftentimes is there always a mom and a dad, or is it sometimes for
1: us, mm-hmm. for us? Yeah. For us, it's, it's a family that lives in its own separate house. So yeah. you have to think U S based, you have to think foster care family. So okay. mom and dad, they may have biological kids and then you may have one, two, three, four kids that are fostered, but it's a long-term foster. Yes. It's, it's like we would call here foster to adopt. That thing, and and our our kind of saying that we go through is, you don't age out of a family, Mm. and so and you do age out of an orphanage. You you do, and and the Mm. government says at 18 years old, these kids can't live here anymore. We've got to, we've got to send them on. And and there's not a great transition program in Haiti. I mean, we were fortunate when we lived here in the U.S. Our son with special needs got incredible care in the public school system here in Nashville. He went to the school for the blind for years, and it was amazing and so we then we transferred to a public school great care and so what we've said is it's not fair that our son got to experience that and other kids don't so let's do what we can in our little corner of the world to to give every child the opportunity whether they look and air quotes again normal or not uh, we are going to give them every opportunity
0: yeah and y'all are doing that and again i have goosebumps because (laughs) i know you're doing it and like you said in your little corner of the world and that's something that I I like for people to come on and, and share their little their little yeah. corners yeah. because you can make a difference wherever you are. Sometimes people think it has to be this grand thing. Mm-hmm. And y'all what y'all are doing yeah. is grand, yeah. but you're doing it in Nepli where I mean you're changing these kids' lives and yeah. and yeah, you are giving that that family-based care and they're not aging out. And that's one of the reasons my husband and I decided to adopt an older girl yeah. from Haiti. Uh, you know, we knew we were adopting our son first right. and then we decided to add a daughter and we went in the older age range because we knew if she aged out, well, the likelihood of older kids getting adopted anyway is already slim. Right. And then if she were to age out at 18, the, you know, the chances are not great for her.
1: What What do you do? I mean, you've you've lived in a place where people have done everything for you and then you're out on the street. I mean, right. Really. It, not Not trying to be critical, but... That's what happens. You're out mm-hmm. on the street. And, and at 18 years old, in our community, hey, you have a birthday party and you go on. I mean, yeah. you don't leave a family. And and that's been the coolest thing for us is to understand that these these kids that are a part of our world, they are going to forever be a part of a, a family, more than than us, the family. And, and that'll last forever.
0: And so how long have you been there again?
1: We so- launched in, in January of 2012. Okay, we Moved there in may of 2014
0: and so what was that calling like what how when did you i like this this part of the story i know it but i want others to hear the the calling of like okay we're 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 leaving our life in nashville and we're moving to haiti
1: yeah um honestly i woke up one morning and my wife was sitting on the edge of the bed and she looked at me and she said i had a dream last night and i'm like wow i Okay. Tell me, well, for the next 45 minutes, she explained to me in detail what she saw in Haiti. Now you got to understand my wife, if you point at a car and say, that would be, I'd like that car in white. She would have to see a white car in order to visualize it. She can't, she just can't see those things. But She was able to tell me in vivid detail, everything from bunk beds to gates to doors opening and people walking around in a courtyard with, with small flowers in it. And, and, then she said we were there and there were all these kids that look like our kids. And so, you know, we're like you, we're, we're an adoptive family. We have three biological sons. We have three adopted kids, two daughters and a, and a four year old son. I mean, we, we do, we look like the Brady bunch on crack anywhere. we go. <laughs> yes. you know? But, but the thing about that is, is, is whenever we, we see our family, it's just our family. It's normal. My, my kids didn't grow up with a special needs brother. They grew up with a brother. My, my, my kids didn't grow up with adopted siblings. They grew up with siblings. And my adopted kids didn't grow up with these other random kids. It's just family. In fact, we've talked a lot about that lately. Of Do you feel like you're part of this family? And, and last night, my daughter Tia looked at me and she said, well, yeah. Why do you keep asking me that? <laughs> but it is. And so when the when the story started, my wife took 45 minutes and shared this whole story with me. I had this dream and I feel like we are called to do this. And I remember, I remember getting dressed, getting ready. She's still talking, getting ready to leave the house. And when she got done, she had this big anticipation look on her face and she said, okay, what do you think? And I said, I think I got to go to work now. I just didn't get it. I didn't see it. And I did not get it until about eight weeks later when I walked into my son's room and my daughter was laying in the floor with him and she's playing with him and they're, they're just having this moment. And see when my girls first came home from Haiti, they were petrified of my son because they had never been around anybody with special needs. They had no idea. And they'd always heard the stories of those people air quotes again are cursed. But what's happening is now my daughter's laying in the floor with my son and she's, she's singing him a song. And when she gets done, she takes her hand and she just slaps him in the face and he rolls over with his his good arm, and he grabs her and just hugs her and then throws her off of him. And it's this little process going over and over, and I finally said, guys, stop, you're going to hurt each other. And my daughter, Naika, she looked at me, and and this is the moment everything fell into place for me is when she said, Dad, it's okay. He's my brother. He's just mm-hmm. different. And at that moment, I realized that what my wife was saying was, we're not out to, to fix or save the world. We're just out to help families connect. And that's now grown to what do we do to keep kids in their family? So mom, dad don't feel like they have to give their child away. So they can look at their kids playing in the floor one day and say, I'm glad I didn't do that. And so, yeah. You're
0: giving some of these other kids brothers and sisters. Exactly. Ah. Exactly. Which is, and moms and dads. Yeah. Which is that whole family.
1: And you get it. Concept.
0: Um, Well, I just adore you, Mike, and. (laughs) Your wife, Missy, yeah. and y'all's hearts and your mission down there in Haiti and what you're doing. And I'll quote you again in your little <laughs> corner of the world. So I think yeah. it's super special. And if people want to follow along on Instagram, they're at My Life Speaks. Yeah. And then is it My Life Speaks? It's, it's
1: everywhere. Dot com. My, dot org. You can get there anyway. But, oh,
0: either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: But I'll tell you so My Life Speaks, just the challenge I'll throw out to anybody that's listening here when you hear that your life really is telling a story and you know this, but you say things with your mouth all day long that you hope people believe. But the reality is your life tells the story of what you really believe. And so what we said was we want to be about something bigger than ourselves. And we want our lives to say that. And so I would challenge anybody. It may not be Haiti. It may not be somewhere in Africa. It may be literally the concession stand at the ballpark down the street. But go let your life tell a story. Go let your life be about something bigger than you and help people on this planet understand who they are.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, Mike, for coming on. Thank you. That was great. I'm going to listen back to that. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, okay, yes. That's it's such uh, good wisdom. Thank you. So if you're like me, when it comes to washing your hair, ooh, you try to do it as little as possible. Sometimes I can make it a full six or seven days without washing my hair, but those days are rare. I'd say it's normally three, no, four days, four days on average, sometimes three, sometimes five. So there, four is the average. And dry shampoo is my best friend, but I saw this article telling me that I've been using dry shampoo the wrong way for a really long time, and I could not believe it. So I thought, well, this is something I have to share with my people because I know a lot of you probably depend on dry shampoo. And... This article basically said, you do not need to spray it on when you're getting ready and you're about to run out the door, which is totally what I do. I'm like, do my makeup, then I do my hair, I spray it in, I let it sit for a second, and then I kind of get a towel or my hand or a brush, and I kind of just mess it all up into the roots and it soaks up the oil. Well, this article was saying that you need to not do that. You need to put it in your hair the night before, and then it can spend all night while you're sleeping. And soak up the excess oil so then, when you wake up, boom, you're good to go. And then it's like all absorbed and and you're ready. Because sometimes, honestly, I'll just do it in such a hurry that I get in the car and I look in the mirror or I get to wherever I'm going and I go in the bathroom and I'm like, hmm, awesome. There's white powdery residue all over my scalp area. So that's just not a good situation to be in. But luckily, you can just rub it right in and it'll go away. But if you put it in the night before, it makes sense soaks up the oil and boom you're good to go so this is just a little tip for you if you happen to be like me and depend on dry shampoo because now we need to be doing it the right way and hats off to you if you've been doing it the right way and doing it at night before you go to bed all along because I shared this tip with my friend Mary and she's like oh yeah yeah I do it at night and I'm like what Maybe I've been living under a rock, but I always do it when I'm getting ready and about to run out the door. And then I guess if you're new to dry shampoo or you haven't found one that you really like, I'll share with you right now three that I really love. This isn't a commercial or anything like that. These are genuinely brands that I use. And I love that all three of these make travel ones, because let's be honest, when you're traveling, that's when you definitely don't want to wash your hair. But the Dry Bar, um, they have a really good dry shampoo. So does that company Not Your Mother's Hair Care. Um, I get that at Ulta, and the travel size one is awesome. And then also at Ulta, they have Rockstar, which is like in a black can with a neon green bottle. All of those, to me, are really good dry shampoos. And if you all have some other favorites, let me know about it because I'm always trying to learn new products that I definitely need to try. So there you go. Do dry shampoo at night before you go to bed. Who knew? That's a wrap on episode five. Hope you like the four things and you keep coming back every Thursday for more things. A big thank you to my sister for coming on and Mike Wilson, our other guest from My Life Speaks, which also just quickly I'll add that our entire spa line for the past few months and until the end of the year actually has been supporting My Life Speaks. So that's where we've got our four things tote, which was what inspired this whole podcast We've got our Four Things Pullovers, Born Your Hat, Star Necklace, other things. If you want to check it out, go to theshopforward.com. And that's another way you can support My Life Speaks, simply by shopping. You can spread hope down in Haiti with your goodies. A big thank you to Elizabeth and Mike D for making this happen. They're the ones that get this up on iTunes and iHeartRadio. And always got to say a big thanks to Walker Hayes because he did the theme song. And I just think he's so amazing and awesome. And then I told y'all I'm moving my email shout outs to the end, which is what I'm going to do right now. Haven't forgotten about it. I'm actually pulling up an email right now from Aubrey. She said that she is halfway through her six month deployment. So Aubrey, thank you so much for serving and taking time away from your family to keep us safe. And she wrote in specifically to ask about eating plant-based in a non-vegetarian family. She's married and her husband, he eats meat. So she's like, I don't really know if, you know, there's a way to balance that. And then we've got kids coming into the mix, hopefully in the future. And, you know, I don't want to force them to be vegetarian, she said. So, Aubrey, I will try to pull together a segment for you on how we do it in our house because I'm predominantly plant-based and my husband eats meat, my kids eat meat. And so I will definitely try to pull together some tips for you on how to do that. And we can turn it into one of my things on an upcoming episode. And hopefully that will help you. And maybe others of you listening that maybe feel in the same boat, because it can seem overwhelming trying to cook all these different things. And then Aubrey also touched on, you know, not wanting to give herself a label as a vegetarian or a vegan. And I feel you on that. I would say when I tried to hardcore label myself, I got into a lot of trouble because if I ever craved a hamburger, I would get some heat from my family. Like, or friends and they'd be like, oh, I thought you're a vegan. How come you're craving a hamburger? And I'd be like, well, I just am. And now I want to eat it. So <laughs> I give myself that leeway by not putting a 100% label on myself. I kind of joke that I'm like 80% vegetarian or vegan. I would say most days I'm vegan, but then some days I have eggs. So then that makes me a vegetarian. And then other days I straight up want some goat cheese, still a vegetarian. But then I want a hamburger. I'm listening to my body and I'm not putting a label on myself. So Aubrey, you don't have to label yourself either. And when you go back home to Chicago, if you're craving a hot dog, I hope that you treat yourself, which I've never had a Chicago hot dog because you know what? Last time I went to Chicago, I went with my family and I was a hardcore vegan. So they were all eating hot dogs and we were out and about and I didn't have one. I'm kind of disappointed in myself, so I need to go back. Okay, that's it. That's a wrap on episode five. Kind of rambling here, so I will let you guys go now, and we'll see you next week.
1: Be
2: kind, a Little food for your soul. Life
0: ain't always pretty, but hey, it's
1: pretty beautiful.
0: Laugh a little more. Tighten up your core. Said EK, you're kicking it with
2: four things. With Amy Brown.
0: All summer, the best time of the year usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there was another way?